the Smithsonian, in fact, is not just one building. It's more buildings than I even know. But like I said, it's 21 museums. So people come with the idea that they can visit the whole Smithsonian in one day. And not really possible, but these adventure labs do at least give people the option where they can get a little bit of a broader experience in one day. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode. We are going to go on a grand adventure, actually, today, because we're going to be talking about how you take places, some awesome, some old, some unique, some funky, some a little bit of all of that, and you make them accessible to the public. And we're going to do that by uh, talking about and visiting the Smithsonian Adventure Labs. And joining us to share about what the Smithsonian Adventure Labs are all about um, is Anne-Marie of Gilliland, um, who has been with the Smithsonian for 10 years, uh, first as a volunteer and now managing volunteers at the Smithsonian Castle. And so the Smithsonian Castle is where all the secret sauce is. So welcome <laughs> to the program, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Annalise, for inviting me. Yeah, we are very excited to sort of hear about what you have going on. So first and foremost, um, for our listeners who might not be familiar, the Smithsonian is not just a place. So share the sort of 100,000-foot view about what, what on earth is this thing we call the Smithsonian in the United States, and why do we love it so much? That's such a good question. Uh, having grown up around it, I didn't have a full appreciation for it until I started working here. And even then, after 10 years, I'm continually learning, <laughs> learning new stuff, as you can imagine. Uh, but the Smithsonian was founded in 1846, so it's celebrating its 175th birthday. Uh, and it comes from the will of a British scientist named James Smithson, who never stepped foot in the United States <laughs> um, and willed his money to us, uh, saying to found in Washington, D.C., an institution called the Smithsonian for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. Um, and that was kind of both very specific and very vague. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the first building, the first thing that comes from that is the castle, um, which I'm currently sitting in. And it is all of the Smithsonian all at once um, when it first opens its doors. It's got an um, art gallery. It has a museum. It has a lot of research going on. Um, if you remember, like in mid-1800s, that's when we're starting to sort of push past the Mississippi a little bit more and exploring this territory um, with, you know, scientists that haven't been out there before, learning a whole lot um, about a world that we just, um, from a European perspective, hadn't seen before. Uh, so that's where the Smithsonian sort of starts. And Pretty much right away, it outgrows this building, and it has now become 21 museums, um, almost 10, well, like nine research centers. Um, the National Zoo is part of the Smithsonian. We have um, tons of affiliations across the world. Um, so it's the largest museum and research complex in the world. Mm -hmm. 
It is, and it, it's epic. And, you know, definitely anybody that gets the chance to uh, travel there and go see, it's just, you can spend days and days and days going from one building to the next, seeing all the amazing things that are archived and housed there. So we certainly are appreciative of that odd and vaguely broad but specific <laughs> gift so many years ago. So uh, that's very exciting. So let's let's dive into a little bit to the work that you're specifically doing because the conversation today is really about the adventure labs that are are based on the original building you talked about, the castle. Mm-hmm. So what what is this concept of an of adventure labs? What do you mean by that? Uh, well, so adventure lab is an app uh, that has, was created more recently uh, by the same people who put out geocaching, which is an app that's been out for over 20 years, very successfully. Um, And it, unlike geocaching, where it's sort of you're finding one little container, you're going off on an adventure to find it, uh, and maybe learning a little bit about that one spot or not. It's really up to whoever creates it. Uh, With Adventure Lab, it's a series of up to 10 locations that you're going to. Um, Not all of the ones that we've made are 10, um, but you go up to 10 and you can then create a narrative with that grouping of 10 um, or less instead of these one-offs. And the other sort of really nice thing about Adventure Lab is unlike the traditional geocaching where you're looking for an object um, to then unlock and sign into the logbook, you are, it's touchless. It's only on your app, um, on your phone and mobile device that you're touching. Uh, And so to unlock each location, there's a clue that's given. Um, It could be something as simple as like, what's the color of the mailbox to the right of the building? Um, And then they type in the word blue or whatever. Uh, Or in the case of the ones we've been doing, we've really been trying to tie them to the locations and the buildings that people are standing in front of. So we're getting them to do a little bit more close looking um, at the details of the Smithsonian that people often get sort of, they get kind of lost perhaps in somebody's uh, trip to the Smithsonian because it's more about seeing the objects inside of the buildings, um, rather than learning about the Smithsonian itself. And that's what we're really doing with these adventure labs. So tell me a little bit, just to sort of help our listeners fully understand. So is the intent of this is that you're going to use this app while you're at the Smithsonian, A, and maybe the answer is multiple, right? Or is this something that you, you I'm, I'm never going to make it to the Smithsonian, but this becomes a way for me to experience the Smithsonian? Or something kind of in between. So help our listeners understand what what is how, what was the intent for the use component of this? I guess the use case scenario. Yeah. So they are meant to be a done on site because like geocaching, it's about yep. exploring the world that you're in. So they are location specific. Um, you're using geolocation to guide yourself around to the different spots that we've pinpointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it does require being here, unfortunately, for the people that can't make it here. Um, But what it does do is it opens up the Smithsonian sort of more to the outside world. You don't have to go into each building to experience a little bit about them. Uh, Perhaps you only have time to visit one of the museums, but on your way there, you're walking past a couple of the other stops in one of these adventures. Um, And so you can sort of start to have a more holistic view of the Smithsonian, um, that bird's eye view that you were talking about where you're 
you're getting the idea that it's not just one building, one place. Um, this is a common sort of idea that's out there. Uh, Night at the museum. Right. That yeah. definitely helps sort of weave that into popular culture. But the Smithsonian, in fact, is not just one building. It's more buildings than I even know. But like I said, it's 21 museums. So people come with the idea that they can visit the whole Smithsonian in one day. Right. And right. not really possible, but these adventure labs do at least give people the option where they can get a little bit of a broader experience in one day. Right. And so then I guess my other question is, so then, so A, I, I love the the notion that you, you've, you've taken something that would traditionally have either been sort of a self, I'm walking through the museum or a traditional tour experience. And you're saying, hey, we can create a, an alternative experience for folks that are looking for something a little bit different. Um, and it definitely, I think, would appeal to a wide variety of people who just for whatever reason, that traditional tour or is, is not my thing or you know, I would really love to have some insight, you know, in addition to just my own individual walking around. But is the Adventure Lab, um, is it exclusive to the Smithsonian? Is this is this a, a app only used in the sort of setting or is it more generalized than that? Because I'm sure folks are wondering, hey, that's kind of cool. Could, could we use Adventure Lab like in my community for my, you know, a downtown historic district tour? You know, so I'm just trying uh, to think about the way people might approach the technology Mm -hmm. um, component. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like geocaching, it mm -hmm. is global. So anywhere you can geocache, you can do Adventure Lab. And um, it, it can, the way I learned about it was uh, I was at a conference and a park, I think a state park was using it. Because uh, it does, like geocaching, has sort of more practical use outside than inside. Uh, so it works really well with outdoor spaces, which all of these are outdoors. They could be indoors, but they're outdoors. And even, you know, I live outside of Annapolis and there, there is an adventure lab in Annapolis uh, that I didn't make, um, but I did it. And it's about the um, found the signers of the Declaration of Independence because a bunch of them lived in Annapolis. And so, and I don't, it's nowhere near the whole 10 stops. I don't think. I could be wrong, but I think it's a smaller one. So you can do whatever you want with it, really. Um, they've marketed it. So you could do it as a food tour, um, sort of just whatever topic you want to do a group of stops about. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's super, super interesting. And I dug into a little bit before our conversation to have some context for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can imagine so many yeah. amazing uses for it. So I do want to dig in just a little bit because one of the things that I thought was super interesting, and so this is sort of where I think that our listeners, many of whom are teachers, school teachers, right? I mean, in a variety of communities around the world, um, but also communities and, 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 and things like that. And so I can, I can absolutely see somebody saying, okay, well, I can't, I can't really go through this specific Smithsonian Adventure Lab because I'm not there, although lots and lots of school groups do come. And so I would hope that they would hear this and say, oh my gosh, the next time we go to Washington, because we don't have time, you know, in the two or three days that we're, we're there. And I know Washington gets fully inundated with the middle school yeah. DC tour, right? But you know, this would be an amazing way, quite frankly, for those those tour groups to have an added benefit. Back to your point, we can't get through everything, but you're walking by, there's lots of activities that are happening. But the thing that I want to dig in is that you said, I made, 
right? So I want to I want to talk a little bit because the the castle experiences you in fact built and designed this using the app and the technology. So share with our listeners a little bit about what that's like. Um, because I could imagine a teacher saying, hey, I could do this. We can do this in our local park. I can have my kids actually build this thing, right? And learn along the way. And, and they're in product as they created this thing that all their parents or, or other kids can come and actually do and use. And I think that's the true value of what you've developed here. So Share with our listeners your experience on the design and development of these two castle experiences that I that I see that you posted online. Yeah, um, actually, that's sort of, in some ways, the more rewarding part of it for me because uh, it's it's much more personal for me than when it gets released out into the wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is my job prior to the shutdown of the world um, two years ago was to manage the docents and the other Mm -hmm. volunteers that Mm -hmm. are on the floor of the castle and the docents in the castle give a tour Mm -hmm. um, talking about the history of the Smithsonian and the castle itself uh, and James Smithson. And I wanted to find a way to continue to work with them, um, not knowing how long everything was going to go on. And, uh, Having gone, it was a virtual conference I went mm-hmm. to. So I mm-hmm. went to this virtual conference. I found out about this app and I was just like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a great opportunity. And was able to reach out to some of those docents um, and other volunteers that I work with. And for the last two years, we've just been a working group. And so really early on, like I had a list of ideas that I thought would work really well. Um, and with them, we sort of started to... Um, discuss which ones they thought would work well, um, what stories we all really felt passionate about being able to tell. And we're also with this able to tell stories we don't normally tell on the standard tour that we give because uh, it's, you know, you have to streamline it to fit that 30 to 45 minutes that people are going to be walking around with you in the building. Um, and so there's lots of nooks and crannies in the Smithsonian and Castle history that just don't fit in that narrative. So we've been working via Zoom, um, meeting about every two weeks uh, for sometimes two hours to really workshop through stuff. Uh, And so we'll come up with, like, for example, of the two castle ones. I knew that I wanted to do one that was sort of like a ghost tour. Um, We had done ghost tours the Halloween right before the shutdown. And they were popular um, because there is some, you know, slightly darker history to the castle. And I was like, this is content that people, especially I know as a person who loves that kind of content, (laughs) are going to enjoy year round. Like when I go to a city, I look for ghost tours in that city. So, and it's a really popular industry. So it's something that it's not necessarily a ghost tour, but it is sort of that um, quirkier, sort of narratives, again, that don't normally fit in the tour. And so, you know, that was a topic I threw out like day one. I was like, this is one that I would really like to do, but left it up to sort of democratic decision. And we worked on other ones before we made it to that one. And uh, finally, I was like, okay, what, what should we work on next after we did, we did one on the architecture of the Smithsonian. And one of the volunteers was like, well, Anne-Marie, now's the time to do the one that you you really want to do. <laughs> so we started to just brainstorm all the stories that would fit into that. And 
the volunteers that I work with, it's like six to 10 of them, depending, they've come in and out. They would then be like, okay, of this list, who wants to start to research this topic? And they would go off and research. And uh, the fun challenge, if you will, of Adventure Lab is that you only are allowed this small paragraph of text. So again, you're having to really edit what you're saying. And they would come back with that. And as a group, we would go through what everybody had written and find the right images we wanted to use. Um, There's so many great historic images um, in the Smithsonian archives of our history that we don't often share or we don't really share with a lot of context sometimes. So this was allowing us to share images and stories and string them together in a way that sort of as a whole, made them all more coherent and more memorable. And, um, you know, the, the process has been great. Like getting to work with those volunteers that I wouldn't have had a reason to work with for the last two years. And, you know, the flip side of this is coming out on the other side where we're getting to the point where we're going to have them back out on the floor. They're that much, they're like, you know, doctorate level volunteers mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the content mm-hmm. that they now know and can right. share. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the amazing things about the opportunity of using Adventure Lab. And I can see that that is a, a context piece that many folks would would really see as beneficial. Um, the fact that the, the staff, your staff of volunteers now, they know more than they knew. You know, their, their, their tours will never be the same that they give, oh. right? Because they've got this, this sort of background sort of stuff swirling around in their brains. So even as they're given their standard tour, whatever that may happen to be for that, because, you know, I, I, I've been on many Smithsonian tours and no tour are alike, right? Because the individual giving the tour takes a slightly different sort of slant or interest in the pieces that are going. And I can imagine that that would be really impactful to the way the volunteers are even approaching their, their work and their own experience. Um, and the fact that so much learning came out of producing that product. I guess that's my message to teachers. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this, you know, the learning that happens, you know, in the space of having to pull all the resources together and to weave the story. And I think that's the other thing because, you know, you, you you talk and it certainly is indicated online, but even the materials that you sent over prior to the interview, just talking about this notion of story. Yeah. It's, it's really powerful. And so I guess, you know, one of the, the other things that I'm really, really curious about is as you were doing all this brainstorming, I would, I would guess you, you as a group came up with many, many more adventures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we have, so we have five that are live. One more is on the way. Well, two more, but one mm-hmm. will be out pretty quickly. And yeah, this, this group, were I given the resources, um, we could just keep going. Because like it's 175 years of history of the Smithsonian, which is quite a significant amount. Um, and being right here in Washington, D.C., Smithsonian history parallels and is involved in our national and even international history, like in a way that is kind of surprising, quite honestly, because um, you just sort of think of it as like a repository. But it also is like an active player sometimes, not always by choice, but it just by merit of being in the middle of the city. So yeah, it's, um, there, there could be so many more. (laughs) Right. So, so how, um, one of the things that I can imagine that folks are thinking about as they're listening is, well, so, you know, granted you created Adventure Lab with 
10 stops um, for most mm-hmm. of the ones that you're trying to work on. So how, how long, once you actually decided on your topic and you then decide, you know, or you, you're doing all the research pieces and I realize that, you know, that's sort of a variable sort of question in terms of how long does that take? But when you actually start using the app to do the build, how long does that take? What's the complexity of that? Because that's one of the other things that people are going to really wonder. I love the idea, but is this just so overwhelming? Are there resources to understand how to do it and do it effectively and to mm-hmm. be able to translate that? So tell us a little bit about that piece of the experience, the actual building once all the decisions have been made. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> you had to know we were going to go there, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Honestly, the research piece is the piece that takes the longest. Um, so the more that you know up front, the faster it's going to go. The other piece that just took us longest, because now we've done, we've gone through the process most of six times. It's a lot faster now because I now, like, I now know how to manage it. The volunteers I'm working with are the same ones I've been working with for the last two years. So like, they're ready for like... It's a rocking team at this point. At this point, it is. Yeah. Um, so those were, you know, you're not going to get that if it's a quite the same way. But it, in terms of building it, so once the research is done and then the writing and like mm-hmm. the editing, it's not hard because it's just a like a form on a website, basically, mm-hmm. that you dump your content into, upload the images into. And then the next really big step, which isn't, necessarily that big is figuring out what the questions are going to be mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and where to pin each one, which is part of our discussion going into this. So like for the one we just finished, finished which hasn't gone live yet, is um, women's history at the Smithsonian. Um, oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> focusing on women who worked at the Smithsonian. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Which... You know, again, like our story isn't one that necessarily gets told the same way because we're so busy telling yeah, the yeah. stories of the objects that we're right. um, curating. Yeah. But our stories are also really interesting. So with that, we have this whole list of women and we sort of like we're figuring out using the National Mall, which is where most mm-hmm. of the Smithsonian museums happen to be like, OK, we've got we had a really great list of women that were affiliated with natural history, but we wanted to spread things out a little Mm -hmm. bit more. So we ended up finding Smithsonian also has its own archives division that like Mm -hmm. focuses on archiving Smithsonian stuff, Um, reaching out to them and to the Smithsonian historian and sort of being like, okay, we're stuck. We need a little bit more variety for this. Um, And they were able to come up with some people that we then looked at and we're like, okay, so this is filling in topically, something that we haven't Mm -hmm. touched on before. Mm -hmm. For that one, we have our first stop at at the outside of the Postal Museum, Mm -hmm. which is not exactly on the National Mall, but it's up by the Capitol. Um, And so that was part of our discussion, like the whole time as we were curating the topics. It's like, okay, if we choose this topic, where would it go? Mm -hmm. And is that topic then in, not conflict, but is it like sort of too close geographically even to this other topic and which one is the one that we really want to tell in this story. So all of those decisions were made before we even Mm -hmm. get into the point of putting it into the app itself. And then once we have it in the app itself and we're sort of finessing what the questions are, because Mm -hmm. this was done sort of in remote management style, (laughs) um, 
myself and a couple of the other volunteers would come out on the mall and go location scouting basically Mm -hmm. and being like, okay, we know we want this at the castle. We want this stuff at the castle. What signs, what educational material can we point people Mm -hmm. to? Or is there some feature on the building that sort of ties into what we're talking about? Uh, So we really tried to make our questions, like I said, ones that tied into the content. And if not to the content, at least got people to do a little bit more closer looking Mm -hmm. at their surroundings. You know, we have really great gardens Mm -hmm. that um, also are all over the National Mall. And so we utilize them quite often. And one of the really great things about Adventure Lab is people can leave feedback once they complete an adventure. So you can get that. And that was great getting to, you know, being being at home working for two years and not getting any sort of feedback from visitors. And you don't traditionally get like forms filled out that regularly about tours or anything. Um, you just but you get of, something. There's an interaction. There's a back and forth that takes place, right? And we, yeah. we all, the world missed that. We've heard a lot about that. So I totally understand what your, your point of view is. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't have that. But then once these were up and running... And the people that are kind enough to leave feedback, um, we're giving feedback. It's all been really positive and delightful and really rewarding for myself and the volunteers I've been working with to see um, the commentary that we're getting on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just really, really, really love every aspect of this. And I do hope that um, our listeners find find their way to Washington and actually get to dig in and sort of play um, with the adventures you created. And I, I love the fact that you've got one that's coming on uh, about women. That's fabulous. Um, so desperately needed and wonderful. So, um, you know, as I, I, I always like to wrap the conversation by recognizing there are folks out there in the world, right, that are listening to this and thinking, ah, oh, this this really applies. I can imagine this. Not only can I go and visit this this place, and hopefully folks will, but I, could, I can bring what I just heard back into my own community. And so, um, you know, two Two things. I want first, um, one of the things that I know folks are going to be wondering, and granted, it's easy enough to find the information, but what, what is the cost? Not, not the cost to do design development, because there's a tremendous amount of overhead, if you will, right from the Smithsonian perspective of the time and all those pieces. But, but is there a cost to using the app to do the design work? Because I think that folks do want to know that. And then my really the, my final question to you is, you know, what advice do you have for folks that are out there contemplating taking on Adventure Lab for the very first time? What would you, if, if you had known, I mean, your journey, you've learned so much, right? And I'm sure there are multiple things, but if there were just one or two things that you would want folks to know before they get started, things mm-hmm. to think about, what would those be? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I'll take the easy one first, which is the cost, <laughs> Yeah. which is it does cost money. And I... I would reach out to geocaching because then you mm-hmm. have to sign a, a whole user agreement. Yeah. And, you know, we're ultimately having seven of these right now. Mm-hmm. So I think whatever price I got, I don't know what yeah, it would be. Yeah, for. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a, there's a mechanism for folks to go and mm-hmm. get all of those, those information yeah. pieces. Yeah. And they've been very helpful. Uh, okay. I will say they've been really good to work with. They came early on and met virtually mm-hmm. with the volunteers I was working with to really help explain things to mm-hmm. them. Uh, and they just really are really supportive and really excited about what they do. That's awesome. So I, I would definitely recommend working with them. Uh, and in terms of things people should know, I would say, first of all, that character limit in the um, mm-hmm. what you want to say, you have to really have a critical eye and be willing to part with information that... <laughs> 
deep in your heart you love. Yeah. Uh, so just, you know, hold that mental funeral for some of the things. <laughs> and that's really hard. The, I mean, the other thing that I didn't get a chance to mention is how much rewarding this teamwork was because these volunteers don't normally work as a team together. They work individually. Um, so, you know, they craft their own tour and go out um, and give their own tour to the public and then they never see that public again. So um, this was a chance for them to work together as a community in a way that they normally don't uh, and really get to know each other. So that's been great, especially through the last two years, having some sort of community. and. I would say the other thing is just sort of thinking about, I mean, for me, it was stuff that excited me. So, and, and the volunteers, luckily we were pretty much on the same page, but stories that excite you, I always think if they excite you, the storyteller, they'll excite the person listening to your story. Um, so I wouldn't think too hard beyond that. Um, that that's sort of like where the passion lies, people will connect with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And I, I, I love the way you sort of crafted or, 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 or approach this notion of um, that sort of internal thinking about all the pieces that you love and how you have to distill that down. So because it is really hard to let go. Um, it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, I totally, I, I, I totally understand that. So Anne-Marie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to um, share uh, about the Smithsonian Adventure Lab and, and, and about the process that you went through and the amazing work that's happening at the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian Castle in particular. So thank you, uh, not just for the conversation, but for the work that you do. And we will encourage our listeners to, um, to make their way to Washington to actually try uh, the app out uh, in real time, but also for those that can't get there, maybe to give it a try. Um, on your own uh, to make to make something in your own community. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>